0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Ephesians chapter 4, as you're doing that, I want to give you just kind of a quick update on uh, where we stand with our fall uh, and spring C groups that are coming up. Uh, We did get a chance to meet with our C group leaders, facilitators, and so we are a go for um, our fall groups, the way that they're kind of aligned right now, so we're really excited about that, looking forward to um, growing together through the book of First Peter this fall. Um, I'm going to be posting a um, uh, resource on the realm here in the next week um, that's going to give you some resources that you could potentially tap into uh, to help you as you are studying through First Peter during this time. Um, we're not doing a specific study together as far as use this book or use this resource, but I want to give you like A variety of ways to interact with 1 Peter, especially if you're new to studying the Bible on your own and don't necessarily exactly know what to do to just sit down with Bible open and pen and paper. And so we're going to give you some different ways to interact with 1 Peter that we're excited about. So look for that post coming this week. We're going to push the start of our C groups one week. So Technically, we typically meet on the first Wednesday of the month, so that would have been August 4th, but uh, in meeting this week, we found out that we've still got some families that are going to be out of town because school hasn't started back for a lot of people at that point, even some of our leaders are going to be out of town, so we'll meet August the 11th for the first uh, C group for this fall and then in September we'll be back on that normal schedule of meeting the first Wednesday of the month. So I'll be looking for that. And then we've also made the decision, because we want it to be as easy as possible for you to come, and we know some of you get off work, and you're trying to get there as quick as you can, and there's not a whole lot of time in between. Uh, The church is going to cover the cost of food at the groups, and so those that are hosting are going to be provided money from the church to provide food for you for those gatherings. So Uh, There won't be a burden on you having to prep and prepare and go purchase things um, that should be all provided for you. Um, So we look forward to that change and tweak this year too. So really excited about that. Again, I'm going to be posting something on the realm this week with more details, um, but just kind of wanted to throw that out there so you could be looking for that uh, this week. All right, Ephesians chapter four, we've been looking um, the last couple of weeks at verses 1 and 2, and then I introduced to you verses 4, 5, and 6, and then even some verses later on in chapter 4 last week. And so uh, for the sake of time and for the fact that a lot of what we're going to talk about today still has some overlap from the previous weeks, so I'm not going to spend time reviewing from the previous weeks. So we're going to jump right into the text this morning. And so I want to draw your attention to verses 4, 5, and 6 today, because while we introduced these last week, we're going to really uh, spend the bulk of our time understanding exactly what Paul's saying here uh, in those verses, so let me back up and read verses one and two and three, just to give the context. It says, "I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace." And then our text for today: "There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord." one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. These are the things that unite us as believers, the one body, one spirit, the one hope that belongs to your call, the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all. And so there's these lists of ones that we enjoy in verses 4, 5, and 6. And so I want us to really see what implications those have for our life today. Our summary sentence True believers should unite with other true believers on the grounds of our common acceptance and trust of the core elements of the gospel and our common relationship to Jesus as Lord and God as our Heavenly Father. True believers should unite with other true believers on the grounds of our common acceptance and trust of the core elements of the gospel and our common relationship to Jesus and Jesus as Lord and God as our Heavenly Father. For our kids, true Christians believe the same about the most important things, follow Jesus as their master, and enjoy God as their Heavenly Father. These are the things that Paul tells us here in this book that unite us as believers, regardless of the church we go to, regardless of the denomination that we were raised in, We are united because of these things that we share in common. Hopefully you see in reading through verses 4, 5, and 6 that our unity as believers is tied to the working of the Trinity in our lives. You see the Holy Spirit highlighted in verse 4 where there's one Spirit. You see Jesus highlighted in verse 5 where it talks about him being our one Lord. And then obviously in verse 6, God the Father is referenced. And so what you see here is that our unity is rooted in in eternity past and eternity future, because we know the Trinity, through what we've already seen in Ephesians, has been working since before time began with this whole idea of calling God's people to himself for salvation. And we also see that Ephesians talks about how God's plan is to extend his kindness all the way into eternity future. And so this unity that we enjoy is unbreakable. We don't grow out of it. We don't shift from it like other types of unities that we experience in this life, right? Our unity with each other as believers, it's not tied to a fad or an interest or a hobby or a temporary commonality that we grow out of. What we enjoy believers isn't a fad. It's not a temporary interest. It's not something that we grow out of. It's not something that later in life doesn't apply to us anymore. It's consistent, and it remains consistent for all eternity, Now, there's other unities that we experience that are passing. They are a fad, right? Uh, Example, Jason and I were eating breakfast at Chick-fil-A the other day, and when we got there, I ran into uh, my best friend from high school. And I've seen him a handful of times since we graduated, Because most of our commonality and unity was tied to going to the same Christian school where there was 19 other people in our class, right? So we were best friends, um, but we were best friends because there was 19 other people, right? Now, we played football together. We had a lot of the same interests, right? Uh, But there was some passing aspect to our relationship. Obviously, when we got out of high school, we went different directions. There were even passing aspects of our friendship that that seemed logical and great at at the time, but now aren't. Like, here's an example. Too much information about your pastor. High school football, me and this guy, his name's Matt, all right? We watched this football movie together, and it, like, it, like just resonated with us because we loved high school football. And so we watched it, and, like, part of their pregame ritual before they would play football games together involved um, spitting in each other's mouth, Right? And so we watched this movie, and we're like, yes, yes, we need to do this, right? And so uh, now you can't do it because of COVID, right? Like, it's just just gross and, like, not okay, right? I look back on that, and I'm like, that was a passing fad, right? (laughs) Like, we were unified around something that was extremely gross because we watched a movie together and felt this bond because we played football together. We need to do this before games, right? That's a passing fad. What we enjoy believers is so different than that, right? So different than that. This unity that we have, one faith, one body, one spirit. I mean, these things unite us forever. We don't ever grow out of it. We don't ever look back on it and say, oh, that was cute for a time or that was relevant for a time and now it's not. No, these things unite us forever, right? Our unity with each other isn't tied to an emotion or a feeling that might waver based on how we're treated, right? Think about, Individuals that maybe you dated previously before you got married, right? These relationships were tied to certain emotions and certain feelings that you had at the time and then they wavered and you made decisions or she or he made decisions to go a different direction, right? It was uh, something that you were unified in for a time and then things shifted and changed and now that's no longer the case. That's not what our Christian unity is like. Our Christian unity is rooted in something far more permanent. Now, I don't know about you, I I read things like this to read these passages where we're supposed to be unified, and I think the unity extends not just within the local church, but really across denominational and church barrier lines. Like, we should be unified with believers regardless of what local churches we go to. True believers that hold to these common truths. We should be unified, but that's, that's not typically what we experience, right? Like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I read these things and I'm like, that seems good, that seems right, but man, I feel like I need to to just stop and say, but this isn't true. Like, I don't, I don't practically experience this. Now, I think there's some reasons why we don't. And I think knowing some of these things will help us process why we don't always experience this type of unity and gives us some direction for maybe some things that we can help by doing things differently, right? So why do Christians and churches not always enjoy this unity that's being described here? Well, number one, I think we have to remember that churches are made up of both Christians and non-Christians local churches are made up of Christians and non-Christians, right? When we talk about the universal church, the true body of Christ, only only God knows the membership of that church, right? Because that's a heart situation where uh, you can gather in local churches, call yourself a Christian, call yourself a believer, and not be one, and you may fool your elders and deacons all day long. You can't fool God. So God knows the membership of the universal church, but local churches, local membership is made up of Christians and non-Christians. So you're talking about trying to practically be unified sometimes with people who don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. So that complicates things for sure, right? Number two, church members are not growing spiritually as they should and therefore not understanding the unity made available. You're going to always have church members, people that are true Christians even, who aren't growing as they should spiritually and therefore not understanding the unity made available. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we've seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What's John saying? He's saying, I'm writing to you about Jesus because I want you to enjoy fellowship. Fellowship with God, your father, fellowship with his son, Jesus, and fellowship with us as believers. And part of the way that's obtained is through a deeper knowledge and understanding of who God is. So we grow in our faith, we grow in our knowledge of God's word, and that leads to not only fellowship with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, but it then translates to fellowship with other believers. And so if we aren't growing like we should spiritually with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit then we're probably not going to have the same type of fellowship that we should with other believers. So you've got that dynamic. Number three, church members are not always eager to maintain the unity because they aren't humble, gentle, and patient. Right? We talked about this factor last week. Right? Paul talks about, hey, we need to have these character traits in us or else we're not going to be unified. If we have people who are self-centered, self-focused, prideful, Uh, impatient with each other. There's not going to be unity. And so, kind of put all this together, you've got Christians and non-Christians who make up local churches, and then you've got believers in those churches who aren't growing like they should spiritually, which means they're not developing gentleness and patience and love and long-suffering type mentality towards each other. But then also you've got this other crazy dynamic where, number four, churches are too often structured like a company or a business with a need to compete against each other rather than partner together, right? I mean, we've also created this crazy dynamic with uh, you know, churches that are in, in debt due to whether it's big salaries or big buildings or whatever it is. It almost necessitates this mindset of like, man, we've got to have people coming and we don't care where they come from because we need them to give so that we can maintain this structure that we've put in place. I talked with a pastor recently uh, ran into him while on vacation, and he said, man, I'm so frustrated with feeling like I have to compete against other churches. We're talking about just not even meeting on Sundays anymore, because I feel like we're just constantly competing with other churches. That's not how it's supposed to be, right? It's not supposed to be that way. Like, uh, it's a B-shuts where we, we rejoice and celebrate that believers are gathering on Sunday, regardless of which church it is, as long as it's a church that holds to these core elements that we're going to talk about today. Man, praise be to God that believers are gathering, Whether it's under this roof or under a roof down the road, man, praise God that believers are gathering and worshiping, right? That's the unity that we're to hope for. That's the unity that we're to pray for. That's the unity that we're to work for. What I love about our church in regards to unity, I was thinking about this as I was studying too, what I love about our church and what I want to always be true about our church in regards to unity is number one, that we have unity in spite of our different backgrounds and upbringings. And God is continuing to build upon this, bringing us people from different backgrounds, different upbringings, different stories, but we can come together in a common unity around these things that we're going to talk about today, and we can be united around them. Number two, unity in spite of our differences about secondary doctrines. You know, it doesn't take long to figure out that we don't align ourselves with a particular denomination, which means you have a harder time figuring out exactly what we believe sometimes about certain secondary doctrines because that's what's typically separating denominations. It's not main doctrines, it's secondary doctrines. And because we don't align with a particular denomination, it's not always clear, right, uh, where we stand on certain things. Now you can dialogue with us and we'll tell you where we stand on certain certain things. But what I love is that it attracts people from different denominational backgrounds to be a part of our fellowship here. And what I think is, is true is that um, if we are holding to the core elements of the faith, there can be an intermixing of denominational backgrounds, right? And it not press in too much to where somebody says, I just flat can't worship here or be a part of this, this community, right? Because we're going to highlight so much the things that we agree upon, right? And so I love the fact that we can have unity here in spite of our, sec- our differences about secondary doctrines. And some of that, again, is tied to what I just mentioned, that we have unity due to not labeling our beliefs or convictions around man-made structures, systems, or identifications. That goes further than just saying we don't hold to a specific denominational flavor here, but even some of the belief systems that we have here at Sovereign Hope, we're not quick to label those with man-made distinctions and identifications. I think most people that have come since the day we started, and we're coming up on our 10-year anniversary quickly here in September, I think most people that have come through here have whole, I, I've, I don't know that we've ever had anybody that came and really left because of a belief difference. And yet we have had people who have come who haven't always believed the same as us about every spe- specific doctrine in scripture. But I think most people have come and have said that, that what is taught here is the Bible and it's taught very clearly and specifically to where you can find commonality in the things that you believe, even if you don't always share the same opinion about certain secondary doctrines, right? There's unity here because we don't label our beliefs or convictions around man-made structures, systems, or identifications. So let me tell you, as, as, as the main teaching pastor here, my goal when, I, when I'm preparing and teaching on Sundays is for our church to always be a place where the main things are taught mainly, and the dividing issues are not so emphasized to divide us. Does that make sense? Like, for our church to always be a place where the main things are taught mainly, and the dividing issues are not so emphasized to divide us. There's been times where we've had people that have been members of our church who I knew didn't believe certain things that I believed, and that shapes sensitivity when I even teach on some of those things. Like I don't want to teach in such a way to divide even when I know there's differences about certain things. I want to even be unifying in the way that I teach about our differences, right? Because I want this to be a place where the main things are taught mainly and those dividing things are taught in such a way where they don't divide us. Because I believe that's what's going on here. Paul's saying, look, there should be unity. There should be unity in such a way where we unite around the things that are so important, the things that are common about us in our salvation, and I believe we can do that here. I believe we've strived to do that here at this church. I believe it's why we do have differences in backgrounds, differences in some of the beliefs about secondary doctrines, and yet we can unite and worship God together and love each other deeply in spite of those differences. And part of the reason we can do that is, is us drawing attention to the things that unite us. So let's look back in our text. One body, one spirit, and one hope are emphasized in verse 4. So number 1, we're going to unite with others who share their or share our same identity, share your same identity. Unite with others who share your same identity. One body, one spirit, and one hope. He starts by saying there is one body that true believers help compose. One body that true believers help compose. This one body means that there's a common existence as God's people. Now we've talked about this so much in the book of Ephesians already, right? He's been talking heavily about Jews and Gentiles despite being so different up to this point. God has brought them together and united them as the body of Christ. So there's diversity in their background, but we come to Christ in the same way and we enjoy him the same way and we receive the same spiritual blessings we've seen in this book right? One body of Christ, whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile, whether you grew up in church or whether you didn't grow up in church, we have all come to Christ the same way. Through the gospel, through an admittance of sin, because the Holy Spirit worked in our hearts and brought us to an awareness of our sin, opened our eyes to the goodness of Jesus, and through that conviction led us to put our faith and trust in this one Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what your previous factors and details to your story is, that's the same for all of us. And we make up this one body of Christ. Diversity in our backgrounds, but we enjoy him in the same ways together. One body. Number two, there's one spirit who works unvaryingly in all true believers. One spirit who works unvaryingly in all true believers. This one spirit Alludes to this common origin that we share in salvation. Now, think about this. We all have differences in the particulars, but our experiences are identical in what the Holy Spirit did to bring our hearts to Christ. Let me say that again. We have differences in the particulars, but our experiences are identical in what the Holy Spirit did to bring our hearts to Christ. We all have different stories about how we came to Christ, and yet we all have commonality and consistency in how we came to Christ too. And one of the things that we want to do to kick off our small groups this fall, and, and it'll be you know time sensitive, so we won't get through everybody in the first month, but we want you to come prepared to your new C group with a with a mindset of, hey, you're gonna have an opportunity to share a little bit about your story about how you came to Christ. Right? We're mixing up all these groups. Some of us have not gotten to know each other as intimately as others, and so Man, the thing that unites us the most is not where we work or how many kids we have or whether we have kids or not, right? It's it's the fact that we came to Christ. The Holy Spirit brought us to Christ, and so we're going to highlight that as the thing that unifies us in our new small groups this, this fall. Um, so you may have been raised in church and abandoned the church and went off and did your thing and then got saved later in life, or you may have grown up in church and got saved at a very early life, and then were kind of a deadbeat spiritual individual until later in life when discipleship kicked in. Or maybe you've been following Jesus passionately since what feels like the day you were born, right? We all have different stories and different particulars and different individuals that led us to Christ, but here's the thing that's the same. The Holy Spirit awoke our hearts to sin. He made us alive to the things of God, leading us to trust Christ over our own efforts and the things of this world. Now you may have been more prone to trust your own efforts because you were trying to be a goody-goody or you may have been in that group that was a baddie baddy right? And so you were all about the things of the world satisfying you. And then some of us were all about the things that we were doing satisfying God in our minds. And the Holy Spirit changed us and said, you know what? Neither of those things satisfy. It's the work of Christ that satisfies. And our hearts were awakened to that. And our hearts were convicted about how we were living. And that's consistent across the board. And if it's not that didn't happen, then salvation still needs to happen, right? This is the consistent thing here. Differences in the particulars, but man, identical in the overall experience. And we all have the same spirit in us after salvation. So if if you're walking in the spirit and I'm walking in the spirit, we should have unity with each other, right? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't work against himself. So this is why we can believe and trust that unity is possible because if you're a true believer and I'm a true believer, you have the Holy Spirit, I have the Holy Spirit. There still may be differences in how we see things, but man, if the Holy Spirit is working at our core, unity is possible. One Spirit who works unvaryingly in all true believers. And then number three, there's one hope that we can unquestioningly agree upon regarding the end. One hope we can unquestioningly agree upon regarding the end he says there's one body one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call this one hope is our common destiny now remember we've talked in ephesians previously before jesus we had no hope we were without hope but now we have the same hope the same goals the same directions that have been given to us this hope is that we believe in these clear biblical promises about what jesus does and what he is going to do now here's the thing we could differ greatly on how we believe the book of Revelation and all the other end time prophecies in scripture are gonna manifest themselves in real time. That's not a requirement to come to this church to believe how we believe or to believe specifically how I believe about the end times. One of us is wrong if you believe differently than me. I don't know who it is, right? I'm willing to admit that it could be me. But here's what we do agree upon. Here's the core element of our faith is that Jesus is coming back in bodily form because we believe that he was raised in bodily form and he is coming back in bodily form and he is coming back to raise people in bodily format and he is going to usher us into eternity, whether it's eternity with him or eternity in judgment. These are the things that are very clearly taught in scripture. These are the things that can unite us, right? Our unity is in these core aspects that we agree upon. He's coming in bodily format to resurrect all in a bodily format to experience eternity. Eternity. So there's a commonality in this hope and this expression of our faith in that hope ought to be common too. We ought to be living now in light of it. Look what Titus chapter two, verse 13 says. Titus chapter two, verse 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Okay, so it says that we are waiting for this blessed hope. We are waiting for Jesus to come back. How do we live as we wait? We live self controlled, upright, godly lives. We're redeemed from lawless living. We are we're saved and purified to be a people who are zealous for good works. We live in a certain way because we know what is coming. First John chapter three says something similar. First John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we will see him as he is. What's John saying there? He's saying, look, God, God's sending Jesus back, and, and what that's gonna exactly look like and how that's gonna feel and what we're gonna be, that hasn't fully appeared to us yet. Like, we don't, we don't have all those answers yet. But what we do know is that when he appears, we're gonna be like him. Because we shall see him as he is, in verse three, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The idea being, if you believe he's coming back for eternity to take us with him, man, we get ready for that now. And just pause for just a second and think about that truth, because we say that, we gloss over that, and we keep moving. Think about whatever it is you're going through today, whatever you're facing this upcoming week, just pause and and breathe for a second and, and admit that Jesus is coming back one day. And everything that's now is going to be way different. Even if it's like a good day today and a good week that's before you, everything's going to be way different. Way different. And we believe this. This is our hope that he's coming back one day. He's coming back to change everything. And if that's true, if we really believe that, it changes how we live, right? Uh, Our teachers at Trinity report next Monday. Because of that truth, it shapes how I get ready this week because I got a whole lot of stuff to get ready still, right? And it'd be nice to just say, eh, I'll do it later. I can't do it later because the teachers are coming Monday and we've got students that are coming the following Tuesday. We have to get this stuff ready. Because I believe that these people are coming, it motivates me to live a certain way now to get things ready. If I believe Jesus is coming, even though I don't know the when, probably the fact that I don't know the when ought to motivate me even more because... What if I didn't know if teachers were back tomorrow or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday? I got to do everything today, right? Because I don't know. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. How all the more should I then be motivated to live a pure life, to be pursuing this idea of humility and patience and gentleness? Man, to get ready for what's coming. That's my hope. And we all have this same common hope if we're true believers. We unite with others who share this same identity. So whether somebody goes to our church or not, Because sometimes when you get into a church and you're you're feeling great about that church and you feel like you're learning a ton from scripture from that church and you're experiencing great fellowship from that church, you almost are tempted to look down on people who don't go to your church. It's like your church can't surely be as good as my church, right? There's no way that you're learning what I'm learning or you're experiencing what I'm experiencing. Man, we should be again praising the Lord if people are gathering today, any church around here, praising the Lord if it's a church that holds to these common beliefs, right? One hope we share this together. Number two, unite with others who share your same testimony. We highlighted this with the Spirit who brings us in the same ways, but let's look more specifically at what Paul says here. The same testimony that we enjoy. So back in Ephesians 4, verse five, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Number one, there's one Lord we confess and submit to for salvation. Confessing Jesus as Lord now is a key component of salvation since one day all will confess him as Lord. Think about what Romans 10, 9 through 12 says. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, then we can be saved, right? Like that's, that's part of that process of salvation. If we confess that Jesus is Lord, believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. We want to do that now. Why? Because Philippians 2 says there's coming a day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So here's the thing. You can either do it now or do it later, but it behooves you to do it now, right? Because if you do it now, then when Jesus comes back to separate the people who have done it and who haven't done it yet, you wanna be in the group who has done it already, right? You wanna be the one who, who willfully submits through the Holy Spirit working in your heart to Jesus, right? Before he comes back in bodily format and it's the only thing that makes sense because you can't stand in the presence of his holiness. You have to confess him as Lord at that point. Man, to do so without seeing him, to express that faith and trust now. We have the same captain, the same commander who's now, guiding, who's now our guiding influence for our life. One Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In their case, talking about unbelievers, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What's he saying? Same Holy Spirit works inside of us so that light shines into our dark hearts so that we see Jesus as Lord and we become his servants just like Paul. Like that's what the gospel does in us. One Lord. We confess him. We follow him. Number two, there's one faith that we accept and believe to be saved. Faith could be thought of as a uh, response by us. We have faith, but a lot of times in Scripture, this concept of faith is talked about more as a packaging of those key beliefs. The body of truth that we believe and we contend for, right? Let me read, it, read a couple of verses to show what that, what that looks like. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 27, the idea of faith not being something that we do, but something instead that we embrace. It says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. That you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Right? We're contending for it. We're holding on to it. We're not letting it become adulterated with the things of this world. Right? These things that we believe about Jesus don't change. We fight for them together. Jude talks about us fighting for these things together. Verse 3, beloved. Jude only got one chapter. Verse 3, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ, right? These are people who would try to shift our focus away from our one Lord and shift our focus away from our one faith to other things. And he says, man, don't, don't succumb to that. Don't give into that, fight against that. This faith, this packaging of beliefs, First Timothy uh, chapter three, verse nine, talks about deacons being able to hold to the faith well. First Timothy chapter four, verse one, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Right, they're going to shift from these core beliefs, these core truths. Galatians chapter 1, verse 23. They only were hearing it and said he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. This is in reference to Paul. Paul was persecuting those who held to this specific faith and now he is preaching this faith. Right, So it's this core belief system. We hold to these clear biblical teachings about who Jesus is and the salvation he offers to us. We have commonality in our understanding of the personhood of Christ and the workings of the gospel. Remember in Acts 17, where Marcus taught from a couple of weeks ago, Paul and these other guys were being persecuted. Why? Because they were preaching Jesus and him crucified and him resurrected. And it was causing division, and that's okay when that causes division because these are the things that we hang our hat on. These are the things that are common about us that we can't sacrifice, who Jesus is. So we can differ on ma- we can differ on matters that are important but not essential. We can differ on matters that are important but not vital, but we must avoid these satanic deviations. That's what I would describe or, or call what's happening in Jude, satanic deviations, things that are shifting us away from the truths of the gospel. And Romans 16 talks about Being on guard against this as well. Romans 16, verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Verse 20. This is why it's satanic. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Right? He's not saying, hey, be careful for that guy that comes into your church and he has a different view about the end times. Right? That guy's not satanic. Right? He's not satanic. He may be teaching you or he may be explaining something different to you than what you heard previously. That's not satanic. Right? What's satanic is when you take my eyes off of Jesus. You take my eyes off the face. So somebody comes in and talks about uh, different modes of baptism, right? That guy's not satanic. That's not satanic, right? Paul's saying, look out for the guy who comes in talking about a difference of opinion that involves Jesus and the gospel and the way of salvation. That's the guy you need to steer clear from because God's gonna crush Satan under his feet, right? We avoid those type of people. That's why you can come and have differences of opinions about certain doctrines here. And that be okay. we're going to welcome you and we're going to love you, and we're not going to try to divide over those things because we're going to unite over these things that are so important, the things that Paul mentions here. Second John chapter six talks more about how we don't embrace people who deviate from these doctrines. Second John, again, one verse or one chapter, so verse six of that. And this is love that we walk according to the commandments. This is the commandment that just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Now, if somebody shows up here and says, hey, newsflash, Jesus isn't coming back, then we've got a problem, right? Somebody shows up and says, Jesus is coming back at this time differently than maybe you've previously heard it. We probably don't have a problem, right? Because when I think Jesus is coming back, maybe wrong. Right? But what we do have a problem with is if somebody shows up and says, Jesus isn't coming back, because that's my one hope. My one hope is that he is coming back. Right? So these deceivers show up. They've gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you, we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So we can't have people come here and say that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, that he, that he came in spirit format and didn't come and suffer as our high priest, because he did, and he is coming back again in that, that bodily format too, right? That's our hope. That's our hope. We unite around this faith. We accept it, and we believe it. Number three, there's one baptism that we enjoy as the means for which we are saved. Now, Don't go to sleep here, because that could be a heretical statement there if we're not careful. There's one baptism, one baptism that's mentioned here. Now, depending on how you interpret that, that could be not true about people here, because we've got people that have been baptized differently here, some that have been baptized as infants, some that have been baptized post-salvation, right? Again, that's where you can come, and I believe you can worship here and have differences of opinions about that, and that'd be okay, because this one baptism isn't talking about either of those, right? I believe it's talking about the spiritual baptism that's described for us in Romans chapter six. And this is true of all believers. No matter when you've been baptized, and even if you haven't been baptized, if you are a true believer, Romans chapter six, verse one, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus we're baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Look, we share the same testimony of our common baptism into Christ by the Spirit leading us into the membership of his body. We're united with Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. So, here's what's happening here. This is how salvation is explained from this spiritual standpoint. When I have my heart awakened to my sin, I see the things of Jesus, I want the things of Jesus, I turn over my life to Jesus. What has happened is I have been baptized into Christ to where my heavenly father now sees me as being dead to my sin through the death of Christ. My penalty has been paid for. He also sees me now as being raised to walk in a newness of life, even though I'm awaiting this resurrection, it is as good as done in the eyes of my heavenly father. I have been raised to walk in newness of life. I've been baptized in his work. That's what we picture when we do baptism here, right? We picture somebody dying and going into the water and being raised to walk in newness of life. But I'm here to tell you, that person was baptized before we ever did it. Before they ever did, before we ever did that. Romans 6 has already happened in their life if they're a true believer. They were baptized into Christ, right? Not baptized into water, but baptized into Christ. Now, this physical baptism becomes a unifying mark for us as believers. We should be baptized out of obedience to Jesus. He tells us to be baptized, absolutely. But the baptism that's being mentioned here, this one baptism, it's the baptism into Christ that saves us, right? It saves us because we are put into Christ, no longer my good works are saving me in my mind, right? Like I've surrendered that thought process. No longer is my sin crippling me because Christ has dealt with it. I have been united with Christ, baptized into Christ. I've been saved because I've put my faith and trust in him as my Lord and the Holy Spirit has brought me to that realization. Lastly, number 3, unite with others who share the same heavenly father. We have one God and one Father mentioned here. One God and one Father. So back in Ephesians, to wrap it up. Verse six, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's one God who is sovereignly in control. He's our divine source of life and sustenance. He's everything we need. He made us alive, he keeps us alive. First Corinthians 8, six. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all things, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. James talks about every good and perfect gift comes from above. He's our one God. He gives us everything. William Barclay says, Christians believe that they live in a God-created, God-controlled, God-sustained, God-filled world. That's kind of his explanation of this passage. Christians believe that they live in a world that is God-created, God-controlled, God-sustained, and God-filled. God is in all of it. He's not in everything like some religions teach, right? But he is absolutely involved in everything in this world, right? And here's where it's, m- it's more comforting than just saying that he's our one God. It's that he's our father. He's our one father who controls it all for your good. It'd be great to say that God is in everything and controlling everything, but then it's like doubly great to say that he's doing it for your good, because he's your dad. He's the best father that you could ever have, So even those that have great fathers here, he trumps them tremendously. And those of us that haven't had great fathers here, man, he's who we turn to because he's the the standard of what a father is, right? We're all adopted children with the same dad. He's our God and father of all. So we can all be really different and we can still embrace the idea that we are family and we love each other deeply because we share the same spiritual father. I don't know, uh, for those of you with multiple kids, you realize a lot of times that you can't do for one and not do for the other a lot of times without being expected to do the same for the other, right? Like when we're swimming and playing in the pool, I can be interacting with one and throwing them and playing with them. And then immediately the other three are like, throw me daddy, throw me daddy, right? Now here's what I don't do. I don't go swimming around the pool, throwing other people's kids around the pool, right? That'd be weird, right? So when we're on vacation at the condo, I'm not like this dad that just swims around and throws everybody's kids. I throw my kids, right? And I treat them with consistency and love and relationship. And we all have the same dad, and sometimes we don't always feel that way, because sometimes we look at somebody else's situation and we say, man, dad's being better to, to that, that believer than me, right? And we begin to question his love and his provision, and we say, man, I, why isn't dad treating me the way that he's treating that, that believing family? We can take great comfort and hope in knowing that he is our same father, And just like we as earthly fathers want to treat our kids with consistency, right? Going back to Sermon on the Mount, even bad earthly fathers give good gifts to their children. Man, even bad earthly fathers try to treat their kids with consistency. How much more does our heavenly father do it? So even when we don't feel it and see it, man, don't lose sight of the fact that we have one God and one father who was over all, in all, and through all for our good. Identity, truth, to remember, number one, and it's long why so we make these available so you can copy them down later. Every Christian is part of the, this could have been our summary sentence, every Christian is part of the body of Christ because of the Holy Spirit's identical work in bringing him or her to the hope found only in the lordship, faith, and baptism of Christ, who was graciously sent by the God of the universe, one of his many loving acts, as our Father. All right, told you to unite with people who are like this. Whether they go to our church or not, you can find unity and community with people who are like-minded in these areas. But here's four points of application to leave with today. Number one, pursue and maintain a good view of the things that, just, that we just talked about that unify us. You ought to be able to dialogue confidently about these ones that we just mentioned. And if you can't, let me encourage you to spend some time personally studying these things. You ought to be able to talk about what it means to be a part of the one body, the one spirit, the one hope, the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, the one God, and the one Father. You ought to be able to talk about this as a believer. And if you can't, man, here's where you can devote your time and attention to personal study. And if you need guidance in that, I'd be happy to give it to you. But you ought to be able to talk confidently and dialogue confidently about these things, both for your own sake and for the sake of others. Number two, pray for the supernatural ability to be a unifying presence in this church and beyond. We can pray for things above all that we ask or think and expect he'll provide for us, right? So pray for the supernatural ability to be a unifying presence in this church and beyond. We talk about how we don't always experience the unity that's described here. Let's be a part of the change so that unbelievers experience the unity that we should be sharing. Number three, ask God to further develop the traits of humility, gentleness, and patience within you to help you maintain peace with others. We can't be at peace with each other and unified with each other if we're not humble, gentle, and patient. We can pray for these things. Jesus prayed for him, right? Jesus prayed in John 17, 21 through 23, that his followers would be unified so that the the unbelieving world would know him, right? So let's pray for these things and pursue these things. Then number four, be a peacemaker. Admit when there is no peace. Ezekiel, I'd love to read these. We don't have time. Ezekiel chapter 13, 10 and 11, Jeremiah 6. Both these passages talk about Uh, People being bad and false when they try to say that there is peace when they know good and well there is no peace. Don't think that you are fooling anybody, particularly God, if you think that you're, or if you're just saying that you're at peace with people when you're not. Pursue peace with others that you know you're not at peace with. Pursue it like it all depends on you, Romans 12, 18. And again, like we said last week, don't just pursue unity when you're disunified with somebody. Keep seeking to attain a deeper unity with people starting within this church and then even outside this church, more and more, Ephesians 4.13 talks about how we want to grow up in our maturity as we attain a, a deeper unity more and more. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We thank you for this passage of scripture because, God, we know that we're really different. We all have different stories, different backgrounds. And we're even gonna have different beliefs about certain aspects of scripture because it's not always clear to us and it hasn't always fully been revealed to us what's being said and how it fits in with the rest of scripture. So we're different. And God, I'm thankful that we can come here and be different and that be okay. That we don't have to become robots or carbon copies. Once we come to salvation, we don't become like each other in everything. I'm thankful that we get to maintain our individuality. In following you, because it's in that diversity that we bring such great glory and honor to you. But God, I'm thankful for these things that unite us. I'm thankful for these core doctrines, these core elements of Scripture that we can look to and say, hey, if that's true of you, then we can be unified together in in a common unity with each other. God, I'm thankful that as we unite under this rooftop, that there's a commonality here, that we that we have a, a a presence in the one body of Christ, if we're a believer, that was made possible by this one Spirit, the working of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. That you've given us the same hope, that we all have the same future. We know that's because of our one Lord Jesus Christ, and the the, the faith that's been given to us, the truths about who Jesus is and what He's done for us. God, we thank you that you baptized into us into Christ when we came to salvation that you took us and stuck us into the work of Christ so that we are now dead to sin. Our penalty's been paid and we've been raised to walk in newness of life. I'm thankful that you're my God, but you're also my father this morning. I'm thankful that you're controlling everything and sustaining everything and working in everything. But God, I'm thankful that I'm on your mind as you do it, that you're doing it for my good. And not just for my good, but for the good of all believers. So God, that unites us together this morning. And God, help us to to know it even when we don't feel it. Help us to know that you're the best father possible. Even when we don't see you acting, help us to always remember that you are always acting and working. We Praise you and thank you. And we long for Jesus to come back. Help Help us to keep our focus on that hope. Not in our retirement, not in our job security, not in our health, not in our family. God, help us to keep our hope set on the fact that you are coming back and that everything that we experience right now is going to be way different. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's org.